Infrastructure is crumbling and the problems are only getting worse. The pressure to find solutions is hot. Let's talk about why American cities have no water, no electricity, and no money to fix their infrastructure problems. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast, hosted by Chad Smelter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Infrastructure Network. My name is Chad Smelter. I am your host. Today's guest is McKinsey App, who is the regional manager, East Coast manager uh, for Emmy Simpson Company. Thanks for joining me, McKinsey. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, because, you know, we're going to talk about women in the industry today and and first thing I want to know, though, in the audience will probably want to know, like, how did you get in the industry? Like, what made you want to get into infrastructure? Because it's something that people don't normally like come out of college or school and be like, I want to get into infrastructure. So <laughs> how did that start? So I'm a proud second generation water wastewater professional. Um, my dad uh, is in the industry for my whole life. Um, it's almost 30 years. Um, I really didn't want to get into the industry. I grew up with dinner talk always being about the vector broke at work today, or I have to go do this bid. Um, so I really wasn't too keen on getting into it. Went to college and naturally fell into the environmental sciences and came out and here I am. <laughs> here you are. Yeah. Working and uh, helping out communities with their infrastructure, which is really important, especially now with all the things going on with lead and the, you know, trying to reduce lead in the water system, the lead pipes that are out there, plus all the um, PFAS that's going on now. And, and it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy with all the stuff that, that's happening. Yeah, it's a very interesting time to be in the industry and be so young in the industry that we're at a big turning point with so much new regulation going on. So it's been fun. Uh, but it's been challenging and it's a hard learning curve, I think, for me or anyone else in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody in the industry. I remember the first time I got into this back in the sewers again and I, I knew wastewater, but I didn't really know sewer systems and how they functioned. And it's a learning curve because I was selling root control, uh, you know, just services. And I had to understand how to talk to a, a sewer superintendent, for example, who's been in the industry 30 years. And you're you're having a conversation and if you were new you didn't know the language so you're like you know effluent influent you know like all these little terms that you know they would catch you to be like what are you talking about i'm like you know the way the channel goes it goes out that way and they're like no that's not how it works you know what i mean it's just little things like that that was interesting uh i found when i started but what's it like been you know for you as being in the business development and um you know, just getting into the industry. How long have you been in, in, in doing the sales and, and business development now? Uh, sales and business development, about five to six years. Um, I started at ElectroScan as a tech, so lowest on the ladder, um, and just really worked my way up. Um, kind of the gift of gab is kind of my thing. Me in math class, my report card said, she's not doing great in addition, but boy, can she talk. And I really have been able to hold that skill down into socialization and networking. And that's really how I think I excel as a business um, development side. Love it. That's good. Uh, so eight, six to eight years in the industry, you were probably, I would assume since your dad's been in the industry 30 some years, were you going to trade shows and you know, were you tagging along with him to learn more about the industry? Yeah. So I actually learned uh, most of the industry uh, starting at 18. 
I worked mm. on his uh, cured in place lining projects um, in the sewers. Wasn't too glamorous as an 18 year old. And a lot of my friends are working at retail jobs and I'm learning how to cure a UV liner in the sewer. But it's the kind of stuff you do learn the the language and what is CIPP and now I would barely even say cured in place, but you learn that stuff and coming out of college, it's trying to hone that skill of what you've learned in college, but also learning what's actually done in the industry. So it's been fun to kind of develop over like the last 10 years almost of where I started and where I am. Yeah, I can imagine. What is it like now as you're, you know, you're developing a territory and I've been out of it for like three years now, but uh, <laughs> you know, what's it like out there now for, for business development? Right now it's starting to get back to more the in face. I really love going and meeting people at their office. I wasn't a whole fan of the youth, like the, the screen or the zooming of meetings. So right now, I think people are just starting to get back to the normal of, hey, come on by, we can go grab lunch, we can do this. It's it's starting to get back to that place, uh, but it's definitely still an interesting landscape of people who are still really held on to the, we wanna just stay in our home offices, so that does make it a little bit more difficult, um, but it's kind of maneuvering through those obstacles where my strong suit's definitely in person, so having to kind of work through that has been been difficult, but the landscape's definitely different than it was three years ago. Yeah, yeah, there's, as people are retiring, you're starting to see a change. I think when I was transitioning, you know, from COVID, I had one of my best years during COVID sitting virtually doing this stuff, but, you know, and I, I've learned how to, you know, continually do it with podcasts and these different types of you know, events we put together and stuff. So it's been, a little change of, of the way I do business, but it is still something that, that you do, obviously, by getting out there and getting in front of people and having these face-to-face -face meetings and conversations, which is still vitally important. I, I think that's uh, the way we still connect physically, right? But uh, but it is a digital, you know, it's a changing world. It's a digital world now, and it, it's totally becoming uh, faster and faster. It feels like just becoming more, how do you engage with potential customers, you know, how do you get in front of them? I can imagine that's still a struggle. It is a struggle with conferences, especially. Um, I feel like before COVID, the exhibit floor was really where a lot of stuff got talked about. You met people uh, that you haven't seen in at least a year since the last conference. And that's where things really, I think, moved where conference floors now are not the same. Um, they're a little bit slower in some landscapes, but a lot of that is also being done now, I think more on LinkedIn because you're so connected easily. You can have those com ongoing conversations throughout the year instead of it being, hey, let's go grab lunch at the conference because I haven't seen you in a year. It's, we've already been messaging on LinkedIn for the past couple of weeks. You're already having those conversations. So it's just kind of adapting with how things are changing and turning more digitally where you're not having those big sit downs. It's kind of constant or, Hey, I saw what you were doing last week. You don't even need to catch up on three months ago. It's, Oh, I saw you were out in the field last week. That looks so cool. You're kind of moving through that, but it's definitely yeah. different. Yeah. How long, how often do you, or how long do you use LinkedIn? I I've used LinkedIn. My college actually made us set it up before we graduated. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. So I've had my like forcing. Hold on. I, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but they're no. kind of forcing you into digital. Yeah. They, Canisius University really pushed this digital, putting yourself out there and making it more of like a digital resume than wow. a traditional. So it was really, I didn't think I didn't need it. And I use it every day now. Um, yeah. So having those skills of if you track it, this is how it works, this is how you get to the top of other people's news feeds. So it was kind of ahead of its time of using the LinkedIn. I grew up using like Facebook and MySpace. So using yeah. social media isn't too different from me, but definitely coming out of college, using it in a professional setting was very different than I've how I use Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's very interesting that they would be kind of grooming everyone for for digital, uh, you know. And if you really think about it, I posted a, a thing today, and I'm thinking about all the math. I'm I'm working with these other businesses, but it's expensive to travel, do all the face to face, the hotels, the trade shows. They it seems like the trade show prices are going up even more and more. Yeah, you seem like you want to say something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can tell you, I just. We just kind of finished our fall circuit of trade shows and the cost of just a 10 by 10 booth is getting more expensive. The hotel nice. at night, the little Hampton Inn next door is 300 a night. It's getting more expensive to wow. do that where I think podcasts and LinkedIn and doing stuff like that is a, a lot cheaper. Um, and it still gets you in front of those customers that you maybe don't have to do. Right. every single state show i know new york state has the roll water the awwa they have local shows it's you're looking at thousands of dollars just in exhibit yeah. booths where maybe having those set into different formats is a lot more feasible on me i don't have to travel as much but also financially for the company yeah yeah you're you're right on it's it's, it's interesting because there is my experience was there's a trade show like from from February to like May. I'd be at a trade show every week. It was nonstop. Is that similar for you right now too? Yeah. So I'm used to at my previous job being Southern and East Coast based. So yeah. the Southern AWWAs and the Midwest are all just finishing. The East Coast is very heavy through January and May. My Spring is pretty much every single week I have something uh, to be exhibiting at. And that's really how it goes. And then the summer is your follow up on all of that, just to start back at the Southern and East Coast, uh, Southern East uh, conferences. And that's, and let's face it, I, I'm sure the business is still the same where you work the trade show booth during the daytime, right? From like 8 a.m. to 5 o'clock at night. And then you're doing entertaining and you're going out to dinners and things like that. By the time you're done, it's 10 o'clock at night. And who's following up on all those leads, right? I mean, that's a, like who you had a conversation with. It's a lot to deal it with. It is. So. And just the travel alone to get to some of these. I was in Scottsdale last week at a summit. Just it takes me a day to travel from the East Coast to the West. But it's you're now taking so much time just to get there. But it's also all that emails that you've already previously had of oh it's joe down the street at the utility can we have a quick call i'm three hours behind now so it's really trying to manage time better um and that's definitely a very hard thing to do sometimes because you get very focused on what you're already doing where needing to get more leads and build more relationships is also just as important but it's that yeah. hard balance of you get into your hotel room at 10 o'clock at night and 
you're dead because you just want to go to bed, but you're like, I really need to get these emails done or make sure that Joe knows that I see him and I'll talk to him in a couple of days. So it is a hard yeah. balance. It is. It uh, give me flashbacks. I know I have, like I said, I haven't done it as near as much as you have in the last three years, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely bringing me flashbacks of what I used to do. And, you know, you, you're right. You kind of mentioned something like you're exhausted. Like by the time four or five o'clock comes after your meetings during a day and, you get to, even if you get to the hotel, you're like, I just want to like get a dinner and like, like disconnect, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And that's, that's, a, that's one of the things we all had to deal with and we still do, but it's, uh, it's definitely seems like the industry is kind of changing that digital side. So that's, that's interesting to see where that's going to go. But what was it like for you, a woman in the industry kind of getting into the industry and then, you know, these trade shows that you're going to, these events and things, um, you know, because it's a male dominant space mostly. And I, I've hired women in this space before, and I've struggled to keep them kind of away from the bad actors, so to speak. The, the guys didn't, that get out of town once a year and they, they want to rage and they act like they're college students and they're 50, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm just curious, like, what has been some of the, the, how do you overcome some of those things that, that you've probably experienced or have you experienced that stuff? Yeah. So being a woman in the industry alone is pretty difficult. Um, I've done a conscious job at trying to get in at a lot of conferences now offer women luncheons, making those connections there. Once you see you're sitting in a room of 50 women out of 500 men, you do feel that close connection but it's getting into those spaces where once you get into a, a cocktail hour or a conference hosted happy hour, you're all now dispersed and you kind of still feel alone, even though you do know there's 50 of us here, but we're all so dispersed. It's, it's hard to get over that um, because it, you are in a male dominated. So you really have to be conscious about what you say, how you act sometimes. I've only had one instance of someone being inappropriate. Um, And I actually had a really great female uh, next to me who I was not in a position. I was very young, right out of college. And I really didn't know what to say or what to do. So I kind of just stood there and she really took the lead. And to this day, I haven't had that happen again. I would say it's 99% of the men that I've met in this industry are super eager for me to talk to them. They're really, really great to work with. But it is that 1% that you get. But yeah. I do have to say, luckily, it is not the majority of men or individuals in this industry. Um, right. Everyone's there to really just have a good time, meet, connect, catch up. Um, it's just that those couple at Bad Apples. But luckily, they yeah. don't show up um, often. So Yeah, no, that's, that's good to hear. It sounds like things have cleaned up and there's not as much of that going on as it used to be when I was doing a lot of that stuff, you know, um, these trade shows and things, it was always interesting and frustrating at the same time, you know, when you're trying to bring uh, a woman into the industry and then, uh, you know, things like that would happen to discourage them from staying in the industry. I was like, dang it, you know, it's just frustrating, you know, when you want to make changes uh, in the industry and get it uh, diverse and, uh, you know, uh, change happening. So, Having your dad in the industry has probably given you a lot of, of insight 
on on the, you know what's going on in the in the world of infrastructure but where do you see communities not advancing like not adopting technologies and things is it that still a struggle for a lot of a lot of uh, reps like yourself yes uh i'm simpson and at my previous job we have new technology that really is breaking that 50-year cycle of traditional legacy technology so it's still kind of a struggle it's getting better i feel like every year but you still have a lot of people that are close to the retirement age where they see themselves in five years retiring so why add a new type of program with a completely different set of data coming in that's what's really been the struggle um and it's kind of a detriment to communities because there is no new technology being brought in in some some areas um and it's it's not advancing it's just this constant cycle of just doing what they need to do to survive every single day where if you brought in new technologies or new ideas it might make your job a little bit easier it's just that learning curve you have to get past where i think that's kind of hard for some people to wrap their head around of well i'm close to retirement i shouldn't have to learn this new set of data it's 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 tough um but i do have to say we are at this point in the industry i think in the next five years lines of succession in this industry definitely need to be set because there is a huge group getting ready to retire that in five to ten years we're going to have a large chunk of our workforce not working anymore with no lines of succession set up so in my business role it's really getting into close to um, engineers in training, they don't have their PEs yet. They're working under engineers who are getting ready to retire. It's kind of breeding that new generation of engineers and operators to kind of get a hold of this technology where hopefully down a couple of years, they'll say, hey, I really saw that cool technology. I'm now in a position to implement it. Let me bring that in. So mm. that's kind of how I've taken it as approach. I'm not going to sit there and argue with someone that they need to be doing new things <laughs> it, it <laughs> to is, use their is, resources but such, such a waste of time you know i didn't mean to cut you off there but yeah. you yeah I, I i know your pain it's it's very frustrating with your mindset like that because I, i've heard it before it's like you know if we fix a manhole or something like that it's like i don't care just get it done if it, it the last five years i don't care i'll be retired or whatever you know i've heard stuff like that i'm like man that's your job though like to to value what is being done in the community, right? I mean, you do have those type of people that are just like, yep, I got my retirement ready and I'm out of here. The last thing I want is another pro, like they look at it as a problem, but it's actually a solution if they really think about it, right? It would really improve their their processes and stuff. But they don't think of it that way sometimes. You were gonna say it something? It would, yeah, it would. It would help them greatly. A lot of, I would say, majority of utilities right now are suffering from understaffing where bringing in technology and new ideas would help them immensely with keeping up with data, GIS, and going into the sewer and doing different types of inspections. It's That's the kind of stuff that will help alleviate your crews in your five years. I always try to approach it as don't leave your crews hanging in five years when they no longer know what to do because you're gone. If you set them up for success, you're leaving that legacy for them of, oh, he already set us up. We're good to go. It's kind of right. changing the narrative and 
really in a business development position, it's really having to kind of read the situation and kind of gear the conversation in a different way, instead of just being like, you need to be doing new technology. And that's what I want to say. It's kind yeah. of in a different, different format for them. But if you, but it, it, you're exactly right. But if you look at this, the process that person would have to go through, they, they got to get it up the chain, you know, it's got to get approval by somebody else. And do they want to take that and champion it up the, up the, you know, flagpole, so to speak, that's, it's not in their ambitious enough to do it typically. And it's like frustrating. <laughs> I feel your pain anyway. That's, I, I can relate to what you're, you're, you're talking about there. Cause it's, it's really hard to, to get someone convinced that it's going to be a helpful solution and, and get them to, to champion it up the, up the ladder, so to speak. But it's just the, the job we do as business development people, you know, you just gotta, you know, in, encourage, encourage, encourage. And then hopefully there's a situation that hits and they're like, Oh, well, I need that now. And you know, and they call you, you're that person that's sitting there ready to go. Yeah. So that's, that's the biggest thing to be in the right place at the right time. How do you see the budgets now? Because you got all this infrastructure funding coming in, and I'm sure that's something that you look at as a developer of business is like budgets and things. Are they tight? Are the competition like really? Is it frustrating like getting over that competition hurdle that's there, or or what's it, what's it like? Uh, budgets, I would say, are at least here on the East Coast, kind of getting back to where they were pre-pandemic. Definitely, 2021 and 2022 were tough. Uh, states like New York really cut back on a lot of the taxes that go to fund uh, capital projects uh, for utilities. They're getting back to those types of places. With the new EPA regulation, though, for uh, the states that are allowing earmarking on utilities budgets, that's definitely going to take a hit going into 2024. With earmarking of state and local uh, representatives being able to say, I want the 50,000 because I told my town that I would get them their new road. That's a big chunk of change where utilities might be able to use that in different areas that they would have already allocated. So that's the kind of stuff that looking down the road, I always have to be up to date on new, new legislations that are coming through like an earmark uh, law. So it's, it's one of those working through that, but that's where capital planning and five-year projects is super important for utilities to be looking at and going back to the new technology you're being in a more proactive role than a reactive role a water main break is going to cost you maybe a hundred thousand dollars and that might not even be property damage based on where it is but it's also the political and social look of that your water main broke where if you're using and putting in money into innovative technologies that are monitoring for you constantly you're not having to fund those $100,000 emergency projects. You can put 100,000 into projects that are going to give you a 10 year lifespan of your utility. So it's, those are the kind of budgetary issues that I'm seeing right now is definitely the earmarking and planning of being in a more progressive style role, not a reactive, but an active role. Yeah. That's always been a struggle is trying to get from reactive to proactive with these communities because there's only so much money to go around, right? So it's like, well, if you triage what needs to be fixed, do you really know what needs to be fixed? And even though the road looks like it might, there could be another road that's way worse in the community that, that needs it more than that one. So it's very important that we you know, do asset management and understand and prioritize our infrastructure, all of it, so that we can use our capital spending appropriately, really, within mm -hmm. the communities, it sounds like. Is 
I, you know, an electro scan and, and leak detection and all this stuff that's out there. Now there, there's competition, I'm sure, with the, you know, people that might say that, you know, it doesn't work or it does work, you know, or, or, or people that are competing against you and saying that they have this better product, you know, whatever. How are you overcoming some of those things with competition? Because it's always, even when I was in the business, you know, it's always uh, it was a back and forth of like, no, that's, it, it does work. You know, it, it, we've done it 50 million times. Like how many times I got to tell you, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you overcome some of that stuff? So what I always say is there's a space for everyone in the marketplace. Some of us have more niche areas with the electro scan and leak detection. There's really great forms. Electroscan is definitely the invasive uh, in-pipe inspection. Um, I also represent Ecologics, who makes a really great outside node that constantly is monitoring the system. And it's you would think that those are two opposing forces, but there's a space for everyone, and there's a there's definitely a platform for everyone to be on. So people that'll come out and say oh, I like this product better, or I think I'm better than you. It's congratulations, yeah. but I, there's a space for everyone here. There's no need to poo-poo someone because you think that you're better than them or your product is better than them. That's not productive. And in my opinion, we're not here to, I'm in a business development role and it's to build business, but I'm also here to make sure that the communities that I help and serve they're getting the best help. And if I can't offer that, I'm more than happy to pass them on to a competitor who might have that option for them. So it's really unproductive to have conversations like that. They do occur, but it's one of those things that you just have to kind of brush it off and say, that's okay, because there's space for everyone and we're good to go. So hopefully down the road, we can be partners on a project and you never know what happens. So. <laughs> That was a great response. Uh, <clears throat> honestly, that, that that's the way you handle it. You did a great job and just, you know, kind of explaining going through the comp competition. We we've always did the same thing. It's like, okay, well, look, if you like the competition, that's great, you know, go with them. I mean, it, it's I totally understand. I get it, you know. So you you had a great response. One of the things that people used to do, some of our competitors would be like they bash us. They talk about us. They you know, in front of the like the decision maker, and I'm like, that's the best thing for us because it makes us look even better because that competitor is out saying the wrong things about us, even though they're making themselves look bad, you know, that kind of stuff. So you did a great job explaining how you overcome some of those things. So good job there. Um, what are some of your challenges uh, for overcoming like engineering firms because there is that gatekeeper so to speak you know that's there and they make decisions on those capital projects they make decisions on uh how they're gonna handle the lead replacement projects so like what's the working condition with engineering firms these days i actually have a really great track record working with uh <laughs> engineering firms um it's one of those things especially large-scale utilities. I live in Erie County. We're the second largest city in New York, outside of New York City, uh, Buffalo. But it's, a, I mean, that's a huge utility. I mean, Buffalo and Erie County employ hundreds of people. For me to try to get in, it's very gatekeeper um, in mm -hmm. some big utilities. And it's just hard to find the actual point person that you need to be talking mm -hmm. to where that engineering firm might actually already have that ongoing relationship or the ability to build these bids for people like me to be able to step in as a partner to them. Um, it's one of those things that 
you just have to find that engineering firm and really help build that relationship just like you would in a utility. I think engineering firms, uh, a lot of people think that they're big and scary and they might not want to be working with you. They're also in the same position of they have a utility in a community that they need to serve, bring in the best help that they can get. And hopefully the relationships that I'm building with them are going to be able to get me into that bid. And we all get to win again. We all get a piece right. of the pie here. So yeah. it's it's one of those things that it's a slow process. It's not it's not super easy. It's one of those I'll do a webinar with one person and then oh hey the office down the street wants a webinar. So you kind of build on that, but all that takes is that one person a year later to be oh hey I really liked that part of that presentation. I want to add them into this piece of scope. That's kind of how I've really been able to work with you with engineering firms and utilities hand in hand is really just kind of that slow relationship building and hoping something is going to happen love it yeah no that's a great response because finding that right decision maker that right point person for these projects is key and that's always been a struggle is like oh does the city really handle it or is that the engineering firm you know handling it? and who in that engineering firm who has hundreds of employees sometimes how do you figure out who that person is is it's like uh, it's like where's Waldo sometimes when you're looking at him. It's like where are they at? You know, trying mm -hmm. to find them. So I can, I you know, just talking to you, I I can get flashbacks of all that stuff that I used to have to do. But um, but yeah, you're, a, you know, being a woman in the industry, you're doing great things. You're making a difference out there. You're really learning how to overcome these you know projects and get uh you know Emmy Simpson on the map and get Electroscan on the map. So. Kudos to you for just pioneering in the in the space and, and make, being a difference maker, really, what you're doing. So uh, we only have like 30, well, we've got like a minute left, but uh, what's the future look like, Mackenzie? What's the future look like for you? And then how can people get a hold of you? Um, future for me is uh, working the East Coast with the Emmy Simpson Group and seeing what we can really start building out here. So you guys can get a hold of me at Mackenzie at EmmySimpson.com. Um, or on LinkedIn, just Mackenzie app, uh, like a phone app, APP. <laughs> um, you can definitely get a hold of me there. I, I'm very excited for the industry. I think the next five years is going to be really exciting and a really pivotal point. So I think we should all be excited, uh, prepared, but excited. Love it. Well, you're awesome. And thank you so much for joining the uh, Infrastructure Network podcast. And uh, we will definitely have you back for some future events and things like that to talk some more. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to the Infrastructure Hot Seat podcast. We hope that this show brought you some insight on relevant topics within the infrastructure world. Please join us every two weeks on Tuesday for the next episode. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, please set up a 15-minute interview with your host at calendly.com slash chadsmeltzer. 